Tonight, we're going to continue the lesson that we began this morning. We talked about the sins of Saul. And I briefly want to take just a few minutes to just review for those of you who might be visiting with us tonight and were not able to be with us this morning, that when we start looking at the lives of people like Saul, David, and Solomon, these were the kings of Israel whom the children of Israel had asked for. And God warned them through Samuel the kind of life that a king would live. And much of that was to bring to themselves whatever glory, whatever privilege, whatever honor that they could have. But many of them made very poor decisions. Particularly Saul made some of the worst decisions. Not only did he do that, he exhibited some terrible attitudes during that period of time. And so we talked about this morning the first three of seven sins that Saul committed. We talked about impatience, foolish oaths, and rebellion. And tonight we want to conclude the lesson by looking at cowardice, jealousy, hatred, and murder, and then finally that of witchcraft. Now, as we talked about impatience, we talked about the fact that uh, Samuel had told him to go and wait for seven days, he got impatient and he went ahead and did what he wanted to do. And because of that, that was one of his sins. We talked about the foolish oath or the foolish command that he gave that no one was to eat anything until the enemies had been routed. And Jonathan, his son, was one who ate something. And he made an oath but was unable to keep his oath. He should have thought before he made that oath. Then we talked about from 1 Samuel chapter 15, the rebellion when God sent him to go and utterly destroy the Amalekites and how that he refused to do what God told him to do because he wanted to cherry pick. He wanted to do what he wanted to do when it agreed with God and when what God said to do was not in his agreement, he did what he wanted to do. Well, let's think about tonight as we talk about his cowardice. So I want you to take your Bibles. Let's pick up in chapter 17. We began in chapter 10, and we've looked at the sins that he's committed, and now we're to chapter 17. And most of you will know this passage immediately when you open your Bibles. You'll know this is the part of Scripture which talks about the battle between David and Goliath. When you read verses 10 and 11... And the Philistine said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. You think about that for just a moment. You have the valley of Elah in between, and on this side of the valley you have the encampment of the Israelites. On the other side of the valley you have the encampment of the Philistines and they have their champion warrior Goliath who's about nine feet tall. That's enough to intimidate almost anybody. When you start looking at the size of his armor you realize this is a man of tremendous strength and tremendous ability. And he is constantly taunting the armies of Israel, and taunting Saul. Saul was a man of war. Would you drop down with me to verse 32? Then David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. 
your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. You drop down to verse 36. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. What you observe here is clearly David's courage was based upon his faith in God. God had saved him from the paw of the lion and from the clutch of the bear. And he says, God will save me from this Philistine as well. His confidence was God will take care of me as long as I'm doing his will. But Saul's cowardice was his lack of faith in God. His lack of trust that God would take care of him. When he saw himself on this side of the Valley of Elah, what did he think? It's just me. And I can't defeat this huge soldier on the other side. He thought only in physical terms where David thought in spiritual terms. You see, the truth is, is that when we read in Luke 12, 4 and 5, Jesus said, And I say unto you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that there's no have no more they can do. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who is, after he is killed, has the power to cast into hell. Yes, I say to you, fear him. Saul did not fear God. He feared man. Cowardice was there. Now, I want you to think about how this sometimes applies to us. Are we cowards? Do we sometimes, when we confront our enemies, spiritually speaking, who are mocking and belittling the church, or even mocking and belittling the Lord's plan of salvation, do we say, that's not right. This is what God's Word says. Or do we cower back like Saul and let them speak boldly and us say nothing? You know, here's a problem. Cowards talk big, but when pressure comes, they flee. I think it's always been amazing to me when I look at the apostles of the Lord. If you'll remember studying in John chapter 13, the Lord has assembled them together in an upper room. They've celebrated the Passover meal. He's washed their feet. He's began to show them the things that's going to take place shortly thereafter. And they're all beginning to try to Tell the Lord they're going to stand with him. And in Mark 14, the parallel account, it says, Jesus said to them, All of you will be made to stumble because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, Even if all are made to stumble, yet I will not be. Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you today, even this night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he spoke more vehemently. If I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said likewise. All said likewise. Do you know what they did? Every one of them displayed cowardice. They ran. You know, it might be easy now to say, well, I will do this or I will do that if I'm put in this situation. We don't always know what we will do, but there's one thing about it. You can see a person like David who would demonstrate in this occasion 
he trusted God, that God would take care of him. We've got to make sure that we learn not to do like Saul to run as a coward. The next thing that was a great sin of Saul was that of jealousy. As you're progressing through chapter 10, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, and now you get to chapter 18, you'll find jealousy taking the place in the life of Saul. So we read verses 6 through 8. Now it happened as they were coming home when David was returning from the slaughter of the Philistine that the women came out of all the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with joy, and with musical instruments. Now I want you to pause here at this, this point here. They're coming out to meet Saul. He's the king. Goliath has been killed. He's the head of the army. But now notice verse 7. And so the women sang as they danced, and they said, Saul has slain his thousands, and David his ten thousands. And and it says, Then Saul was very angry, and the saying displeased him. And he said, They have ascribed to David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed only thousands. Now what more can he have but the kingdom? You see what's going on in Saul's mind? I think all of us can see it. He's jealous of David. Here David has, by faith, stepped up and taken the life of this uncircumcised Philistine. He has defended God's honor and the people's honor. Saul has been a coward. But as Saul looks now at David, there's jealousy in his heart. You see, the truth is jealousy can have such power over a person. In fact, Solomon put it like this in Proverbs 27 and verse 4. Wrath is cruel, anger a torment, but who can, is able to stand before jealousy? You know, sometimes if a man gets angry, it's a real flash and he'll get over it. But jealousy is something that seems to stay with a person. He can't seemingly turn it loose and... It's something that a person just can never seemingly get over. When you go to the book of Song of Solomon, a book that we rarely use, we get to chapter 8 and verse 6, and he says, Set me as a seal upon your heart, a seal upon your arm, for love is as strong as death, jealousy as cruel as the grave. Its flames are flames of fire, a most vehement flame. Now we've seen what jealousy can do between a husband and a wife. A husband can become so jealous of his wife that he doesn't want her to talk to anyone else. He feels like he has to be super protective of it. There's some people with whom jealousy is so consuming it begins to affect the way they act with other people. Now here's an attitude check, if you will. If someone else's success distresses you, you need to check your attitudes. If you see someone else who do, does real well and you feel that you have to some way put that down, if you feel that you have some way that you have to denigrate what they have accomplished, 
we need to check our attitudes and make sure that we're not living lives of jealousy. Which just leads into chapter 19. As you get to chapter 19, one of the things that you will observe is David now has become the object of hatred for Saul. In fact, it's become so badly that he is going to try to eventually kill him. Notice with me verses 1 and 2 and then verses 10 and 11. Now Saul spoke to Jonathan his son and to all his servants that they should kill David. But Jonathan, Saul's son, delighted greatly in David. So Jonathan told David, saying, My father Saul seeks to kill you. Therefore, please be on your guard until morning and stay in a secret place and hide. You see, he knows now that Saul's trying to kill him. He he hates him. The jealousy has now grown into a hatred of him to the point where he's ready to murder him. David escapes that, but you drop down to verse 10. Then Saul sought to pin David to the wall with a spear, but he slipped away from Saul's presence. And he drove the spear into the wall. So David fled and escaped that night. And Saul also sent messengers to David's house to watch him and to kill him in the morning. And Michael, David's wife, told him, saying, If you do not save your life tonight, tomorrow you will be killed. I think it's interesting. Two children of Saul, Jonathan, Michael, his daughter, both love and respect David. They don't want their father to be successful in taking David's life. And so Saul is not going to be effective. But you see, that would be interesting if Saul just said, okay, well, my children think he's okay and I'll just get over it. But you see, as you keep on reading, you come to chapter 22, and David is hunted like an animal. He goes from one place to the next, from one city to the next, one wilderness to the next, trying to escape the sword of Saul. We come to a very sad circumstance in chapter 22, verses 13 through 19. There is a priest by the name of Ahimelech. And I want to read to you what the text says. Then Saul said to him, Why have you conspired against me, you, the son of Jesse, in that you have given him bread and a sword and have inquired of God for him that he should rise against me to lie in wait as it is this day? Now pause with me at the end of verse 13 for just a minute. Here's Ahimelech. And Saul has come to him, why have you given him his sword? The sword of Goliath, by the way. Why have you inquired of the Lord for him? Have you even thought about that? Why would you not want to inquire of the Lord for someone? Whatever's God's will ought to be done. Verse 14, so Ahimelech answered the king and said, And who among the servants is as faithful as David? Who is the king's son-in-law? Who goes at your bidding and is honorable in your house? Did I then begin to inquire of God for him? Far be it from me. Let not the king impute anything to his servant or to anything in the house of my father. For your servant knew nothing of all this, little or much. 
Ahimelech says, I don't know about all the difficulty that's going on between you and David. Here's what I know about David. David has been loyal to you. David has fought your battles for you. He's an honorable man. That's all I know. Well, you might think that Saul, because of what Ahimelech said, would just simply walk away and say, okay, you operated out of good intentions. But verse 16, And the king said, You shall surely die. Ahimelech, you and all your father's house. And the king said to the guards who stood about him, Turn and kill the priest of the Lord because his hand is also with David and because they knew he fled from me and did not tell me. But the servants of the kings would not lift their hands to strike the priest of the Lord. Good for them. Verse 18. And the king said to Doeg, You turn and kill the priest. So Doeg, the Edomite, turned and struck the priest and killed on that day, 85 men who wore the linen ephod. Also, Nob, the city of the priest, he struck with the edge of the sword, both men and women, children and nursing infants, oxen, donkey, and sheep with the edge of the sword. You know what I find just remarkable here? When God told him to go and utterly destroy the Amalekites, he didn't do it. And now when he is not supposed to be killing these people, these are servants of God, these are the priests, his hatred, his murder, or his hatred is so strong that he's willing to murder innocent people of a whole city. Do you understand now why jealousy, hatred, and wrath can be so cruel? Jealousy turned to hatred then attempted murder, and finally, ultimately, murder of people. You might say, well, we're not murderers. We're not the kind of people that would go and take someone else's life. We won't do things like Saul did. Why don't you listen to 1 John 3, verses 12 and 15. Not as Cain, who was of the wicked one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because... His works were evil and his brothers righteous. Cain is the kind of man who looked and his jealousy of his brother drove him to commit murder. And then just a few verses later, verse 15, whoever hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. You see, we can get to where we hate our brethren. We don't like this person. We don't like that person. We become jealous of them. We become motivated by hatred. And then we destroy their reputation. We destroy their good because of this hatred and murder. And it actually can sometimes lead to physical murder. You know, I remember a few years ago, there was a congregation in Vernon little town I grew up in that was an anti-congregation. If you need me to explain that to you later, I will. But they actually got into a fist fight on the steps of the building. Well, that was really sad. Really sad. Left an awful taste in the mouth of the people of town. 
You know, it's so contradictory to what Jesus said, and by this shall all men know that you're my disciples in that you have love for one another. John 13, verses 34 and 35. Last one now, witchcraft. If you go with me to chapter 28, now we're getting to the very end of the life of Saul. Saul is in a pitiful condition at this point. And uh, in verses 6 through 10, we're going to learn how bad it had gotten. The text says that when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him, either by dreams or by Urim or by the prophets. Now pause with me for just a moment here. Saul wants to know what God wants him to do, but God is not answering now. God's not listening to him. In fact, God is quite frequently said, I won't listen to you. You remember Isaiah 59, 1 and 2? God's not hand is not shortened that it cannot save, nor is ear heavy that it cannot hear. But your sins and your iniquities have separated you from your God, and he has hidden his face so that he will not hear. God's not listening to Saul anymore. He's rejected Saul. Saul is no longer his chosen king. So verse 7. Then Saul said to his servants, Find me a woman who is a medium, that I may go to her and inquire of her. And his servants said to him, In fact, there is a woman who is a medium at Endor. So Saul disguised himself and put on other clothes. And he went and two men with him, and they came to the woman by night. And he said, Please conduct a seance for me and bring up for me the one that I shall name to you. Then the woman said to him, Look, you know what Saul has done, how he has cut off the mediums and the spiritists from the land. Why then do you lay a snare for my life and cause me to die? And Saul swore to her by the Lord, saying, As the Lord lives, no punishment shall come upon you for this thing. Wow. Here's a man making promises again. When you go to 1 Chronicles 10, verse 13, the passage that was read this morning and also tonight, and as the chronicler summarizes the life of Saul, he says, he died for his unfaithfulness, which he committed against the Lord, because he did not keep the word of the Lord. And listen now, and also because he consulted a medium for guidance. He consulted a medium. He didn't go to God. God wasn't going to talk to him anyway. So what is he going to do? He's going to go to a medium. He's going to go to a spiritist. Now there's a reason why you don't go to them. Back in the book of Deuteronomy, when Moses was giving the law to the children of Israel, right before they're to cross over into the promised land, he said to them, There shall not be found among you anyone who makes his son or daughter pass through the fire or one who practices witchcraft, or soothsayer, or one who interprets omens, or a sorcerer, one who conjures spells, or a medium, or a spiritist, one who calls up the dead. For all who do these things are an abomination to the Lord, and because of these abominations, the Lord your God drives them out from before you. These are your palm readers, your horoscopes, these are people who are saying, I have contact with the dead. These are your Ouija boards. 
you see there's this connection with the dark side, if you will. Saul's a hypocrite. He had ordered them to be cut off from the land, and now he's going to consult one. I've often wondered, here's Saul. He asked his servants to find him a medium, and they said, oh yeah, we know one in Endor. Don't you find that a little bit interesting, that they already know where one's at immediately? They must not have all been driven out of the land. What we find is when you and I do something which we have condemned, we're just a plain old hypocrite. And when you go to the New Testament, some of the Lord's most condemning words were for those who said one thing and did another. In Romans 2 and verse 1, Therefore you are inexcusable, old man, Whoever you who judge, for in what you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things. How could Saul say, let's get rid of the witches, let's get rid of the mediums, because they're against the laws of God, and then turn around and go and see one. Romans 14, verse 22. Do you have faith? Have it to yourself before God. Happy is he who does not condemn himself, and what he approves. That's a reality for us as well, folks. We don't need to be the kind of people who will say, now you don't do these things and then go do them ourselves. Now, bringing all this together, Saul had such potential, such promise, but he squandered it by letting his ego get out of control. He was a man who began with very little in his own eyes and he viewed himself as being privileged to serve God. But after he got to that position, he started thinking, it's about me, it's about what I want, and I'm going to guide the destiny of my life. In order for us to serve God, we have to humble ourselves before him. That means that as Jesus taught, if anyone comes after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. We've got to be the kind of people who says, Lord, you speak, I'll do what you say to do. And God wants full and complete obedience. He's not looking for us to just do a few of the things that he wants, but for us to be submissive. Perhaps the best way it could be stated is the way Paul put it in Galatians 2 and verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. If you need to become a Christian by faith, repentance, confessing, and being baptized... Or if you are a child of God who needs to make things right with God and with your brethren, we encourage you to respond as together we stand and sing.